0: What's up? This is Andy V. Galleon of The Devil in California and Death Angel, and you're listening to Focused on Metal. Turn it up!
1: Hey, metalheads, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. So as mentioned last week, uh, this week we're going to start doing a little bit of uh, classic metal, a little focus on classic metal for probably the next five, maybe six weeks where we're going to go back and talk to some of the artists from the 80s and the 90s that have uh, albums that are coming up for anniversaries this year or just even some artists that have never really uh, even appeared on any shows or anything before, some artists that have dropped out of the scene for years and even some artists that have dropped out of the scene for years and are uh, currently, unbeknownst to most folks, making brand new music that we should see uh, shortly. So that is what you should expect to hear from us each week, uh, right through to the end of May. And of course, in that time frame, you never know, Richie may actually find somebody else that he feels belongs in this as well, and this could get even longer. I mean, you know how our projects sometimes get longer and longer and longer, but right now, that's the plan, at least run it through to the end of May. So I thought we'd kick it off with a guy that we've had on the show before, always great to talk to, really giving with a lot of information, really super honest guy, and and that is andy galleon and of course a lot of you guys may know that name he was the uh, the original drummer in death angel played with them from 82 to 91 and then also again from uh, 2001 to 2008 so if you have uh, the ultra violence frolic of the park act three the art of dying or killing season then you indeed are listening to the drumming of andy galleon he was also a uh, did drums for Depressor and Swarm and the organization, just all kinds of bands, really an in-demand guy. And even during the uh, talk we have with him today, see all the different bands he's even working with right now. And all of this is pretty amazing because back in the day playing with Death Angel, one of their big things was the fact that there was this you know, 16-year-old kid playing incredible drums in a thrash band out of San Francisco. And here he is now in his late 40s and still playing out there, still enthused about drums, and still inspiring people. So way back at the end of January, Richie was able to reach out to Andy again and uh, work out a time to get on the phone together. And Andy just spent uh, over an hour on the phone, actually, with Richie. Some of it just, just talking general life stuff. Andy is just one of these cool, down-to-earth guys, and uh, you know you kind of strike up a conversation with him, and you never know where it's going to go. But uh, as I said, Richie put in a lot of work trying to get all this to work, not only for Andy, but uh, just with all the artists. He's, he's been spending a lot of time, you know, phone, email, everything, trying to hook up a lot of these things. Some of them came through. Some of them didn't come through. But and there were a few that actually uh, Richie had given up on, and then lo and behold, uh, folks just dropped into his lap, and then those folks dropped new folks into his lap as well. So, uh, like our project stuff, always an ever evolving thing. But, anyways, back to Andy, like I said. Uh, end of january richie uh, got on the phone with andy spent uh, a good over an hour with the guy talking all about uh, you know what he's doing now you know his days with death angel and and you know his outlook on the music industry all that good stuff so how about i stop talking and roll richie's conversation with the great andy galleon grab your nutsacks and hang on folks it's time for another dose of classic metal that's right Another episode of Focus on Classic Metal is about to hit the airwaves in three, two, one. Hello, Hello? is that Andy? Hey, hi,
2: Hello. it's uh, Richie from Focus on Metal.
0: Hey, man, how's it going?
2: I'm good. I'm good. All right. So, so Andy, <laughs> other than the thing you're doing with Rob, Rob, what, what what else are you doing now musically? Like, are you in a band, or are you like what what what's happening with you at the moment?
0: um at the moment um i'm just i've i've been di- working with a lot of different um i guess my friends' bands because the butlers is a cover band it's a bunch of members from ex ex Exodus, jet boy ruffians and and other local bands we get together and and play all around the bay area And we actually last year, we even went out to Hawaii to play our, our sound man's, uh, uh, sound man, Ace's daughter's wedding in Maui. He said, like, he said, Oh, my daughter wants you guys to play in, play in Maui. I was like, we're like, yes. Okay. (laughs) We're there. You know, you get paid. they, They, you know, everything was taken care of and everything. So, but, Besides that, I'm, I do the Rob Flynn and Friends. And then just the end of the year, my buddy, uh, J- Billy, who I had been jamming with in the Butlers, he just recently moved down to L.A. Um, to, to expand his guitar building company, which is called Rock and Roll Relics. He called me up last month and was like, hey, we got a couple gigs um, with the Junkyard at the end of the year. Would you be into doing it? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I'll do it. So I just kinda like learned their set in a couple of weeks and we jammed a few times and then we played a couple of gigs and so there's 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 um opportunities for gigs in, in this year with Jet Boy and then um other than that I just been um freelancing recording with local bands and, and local studios around the Bay Area, like Toy Called God and um warman's dance is with john menor of x d r i s project and um there's a bunch of little things like the nerve is a punk band out of San francisco I did a couple a couple records with them and i don't know i've just been um i've been settled in the freelancing thing and um everything's been going good and especially since last year since we moved i ha- i uh I remodeled the house and had to sell it so I never, I never did that before. It was always like we either had a house and just had to get out of there real fast or, you know, or I don't know. It was just weird circumstances. But this time I was like, kind of like the, my, my childhood home, like where we basically where we wrote ultraviolence and half a frolic and like all the first organization record. I mean, just like half of the organization just a bunch of memories I had to like take my heart out of it and just go you know what this is because I'm not I was never a really big business guy you know I just wanted to play music and I didn't care you know what really what was happening as long as we were recording and going on tour Mm
3: -hmm. which
0: you know it came to kind of bite me in the butt later but but anyways it was like I had to like deal with all this you know real tea shit but luckily i had um played with my buddy in a like i filled in in a cover band my friend matt hilsen um he was in a band back in the in the late 90s um, i i forget something sun red sun something sun but um after he left that band they were signed to pavement He went into realty, and then I didn't see him for like fifteen years, and then all of a sudden we, I saw him in the cover band, and and then he's like, "Yeah, I do realty," and then you know, fast forward (laughs) several years later, I was like, "Hey, Matt, I'm thinking (laughs) about selling my house. Can you help me?" And you know, it was it it worked out because you know, I it's hard for me to trust people, you know, as everyone and as you get older, because your circle. Of, it gets smaller and smaller
3: Like mm-hmm. So But yeah. it
0: worked out Really good And But you know As far as music um, I've also been working with um, The Ghost Next Door Which is Gary Went From um, Sacrilege I, I filled in a, for, a, for a bunch of gigs With them Over the years And um, They might need uh, My services for um, For this Upcoming tour And stuff So it's it's a bit different because i was always like in da it was always i was a writer, contributor, you know, had a say in everything that was going on. but now that i'm that now that i'm like a independent freelancing, it's it's like i don't have a bunch of a bunch of different pressures but then also, you know, i don't know, it's just a it's just a give and take that, you know, it's, it's working out good. I mean, I mean, I just, I'm playing a lot, which is good. Mm -hmm. And, and every, and actually I just, I just got a a new Yamaha uh, kit. I ordered it from um, this uh, music store in Canada. I saw it on eBay. It had, it was used by Tommy Aldridge and he, and he used it for a drum clinic and he signed the two front heads and I'm a big Tommy Aldridge nut because one of my first concerts was Blizzard of Oz. Oh my wow! My first concert was my first concert was Kiss in nineteen ninety I mean nineteen seventy nine Dynasty tour at the Cow Palace. And then like in eighty we went to go see uh Blizzard of Oz at the Day on the Green in the Oakland um Oakland Stadium outdoors and it was Randy, Rudy Sarzo, Tommy Aldridge, and Ozzy. And, and it was like our first, you know, we are total Ozzy nuts. And when it came out, we thought it was like, you know, who's Bob Bob Daisley and Lee Kurz like, wait, that's that's not them. It was like, because we knew was <laughs> Quiet Riot. And we said, that's Rudy Sarzo, because, you know, Rob's a total Randy nut. And then I was like, wait, Tommy Aldridge, he was with Pat Travers and, oh, shit, and it was like, man, it just, like, blew our minds, and so I, anyways, I, I bought the kit, and I got the front head signed, they're signed by him, and and then, I know I, I ramble, but, the, but another thing, was in the early 2000s, DA played a festival out in Germany, and it was Finn Lizzie on the bill, but it was John Sykes singing Tommy Aldridge on the kit, so I was, like, just sitting there watching him and then when he when he walks off stage i was i just froze i just like there he is you know he walks right by but uh, like a month later on myspace i reached out to him saying that if it, it was just you know probably not his official thing i said we played with you at this festival da the, va the, 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 the andy galleon you know saw you in blizzard of oz i rambled on and he goes <laughs> And I go, oh, I was too shocked to say hi. He's like, oh, man, you should have said hi. No problem, man. Thank you for the kind words. And just meeting guys like that that you look up to, and then they're just so cool. It's just, it makes you really, um really, like, feel good about, like, music. And there's good people in music. And, you know, it's just the business that gets a little tricky. But, man, it was, you know, it was just, it's really cool. So now I have his kit and I'm jamming on it. I mean, it's not his, it was, you know, it was just a brand new kit they had in the store that he used for a clinic, but still he played on it. So I'm just like totally stoked. So I'm wow. going to use it at the, at the gig. And, um, yeah. So nice. I don't know. It's just trippy, man.
2: Yeah. So Andy, I primarily have you on to talk about frolic through the park, but I want to go back a little bit before then. And, uh, to the ultraviolence record. Um, how did you end up with uh Davey Vane producing that? Because he's primarily known to most people as being in the, you know, the head of the band Vane, who are more, you know, they're not, uh, what you'd call a trash metal band at all. Yeah,
0: totally. Um, well, the main reason was because our, our manager, our first manager, Kat Serdowski, she managed both bands, DA and Vane, And, um, over, like we we, we we were the same way like especially way back then where we weren't like like how it is now where everyone's cool and stuff. We were just like posers. Wait, what? Like who are these guys? but you know so we so Davy was he, he basically had a lot of recording knowledge from doing all his vain uh, recordings, the demos and all that stuff. And we would hang out all the time because we would meet at Kat Zardosky's, um her flat in in The Hate in San Francisco. And we just became friends and we were we would hang out. And, you know, it was, it was like, it was kind of like a cr- like how the crossover for the hardcore and the metal was ha- happened before that. It was like, it kind of like opened our eyes like, oh, it's like ACDC with like big hair and lipstick or something. You know, because their music is good, and um it just we we got together, and you know it it you know it worked out really good, but you know, I don't know what what Davy or what Rob would say, but from my point of view, from being there, Rob and I were there every step of the way, from the pre-production demos to the to the you know recording at Beggar's Banquet. And sat Santa Rosa to going to L.A. to um, something Tobin Studios. This, this guy, he um, he he was the manager for Tiffany, that little pop redheaded girl back uh-huh. in the day. And he had George George Tobin Studios. He had a studio, and we mixed it there with Robert Feist, And da- Davy Vane was not there at the mix. Okay, I'll say straight up for the record because I was there and Rob was there. We stayed in this crappy. Roach Motel on you know (laughs) off of Sunset Boulevard, and we were this there for like, like seven days I think, or like four or five days, and Mm. we just mixed every day for like twelve to fourteen hours, and we just that's that's that record, you know. Davy helped a little in the like recording part of it, like in Santa Rosa, but he was not there for the mix, so you know I don't Mm. stuff always gets fudged. And, the you know, people always have their own sides to the story, but if you're really there in the first person, then you know exactly what went down. so mm. you
2: know yeah, so that's, Andy that's Andy, when you recorded the ultraviolence, um, how much studio experience did you have before that?
0: Uh, we had done one demo tape with um, Matt Wallace. He ended up to do uh, the, the real thing and uh, angel Dust. Um, and we did, we did that as a four piece with, before Mark of Rob did, Rob, Dennis did vocals, Rob did vocals, Rob did guitar and bass. And, um, that's a rare four song. Um, sounds like old scorpions and old rainbow. We hadn't seen Metallica yet. So be- between that demo and then the Kirk Hammett demo, we saw Metallica, we saw, fed up all, we wrote all new songs <laughs> 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 and just went like, cause I swear we saw them twice at Keystone Berkeley. And, um, and the stone is with armored saint. And we met them when they did a meet and greet in Walnut Creek at some record store. And we all walked in and, and Cliff was drinking beer and all he kept saying was more beer, more beer. And they all started laughing at us and we're like, we're a band. And <laughs> they started cracking up. And then they saw us at the Stone after the show because we were there, and they were just like, I, "Wow, these guys are," you know. I guess they are if they're they're all into it. And then our manager met Kurt, so we we did the Killers One Three song demo, and after that we did another pre-production session, but it was only the the three songs on the Killers One demo, and then and then that was it. And then we went into Beggar's Bank. We borrowed money. Um, to record that because we couldn't get a record deal. But then we we recorded it in '86. Then we we got signed towards the end of '86. Then it came out in '87, and then we went straight on tour on in the summer because I was uh um, I was a freshman, and mm. my mom said you can go in the summertime. <laughs> mm. <laughs> It was crazy, man. It's crazy to think about it. And then after that tour, when I got back from tour, my mom's like, you better take this proficiency high school uh, equivalency test. And I go, what's that? She goes, it's for your diploma for people under 18, because I don't think you're going to graduate. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in the 10th grade, I took that test, and luckily I passed it. And then I got kicked out of school in the 12th grade.
2: Wow. <laughs> so, so so Andy w- one of the things I remember when when the the, the debut came out the Ultraviolence, a lot of people kept harping on about how old you guys were did that bother you at all because you thought it might have been taken away from the music that the only thing they kept talking about was your age
0: Yeah man we um we got that all throughout our our early well probably the whole the whole time until until Act Three, because we were small, we were very we young, and we were um, we were younger than everyone. We were, looked like kids, and we we're five. You know, let's let's be honest. We we're five little brown, skinny, long-haired guys, and we didn't dress like no rock stars. We just looked like we were skaters. We were skateboarders, so we just looked like skateboard punks and then we would always you know come into the club and and other bands are like older and like you know and they were just like who the hell are you and we're like we're the opening band and they would laugh and whatever but but what i what i think in retrospect is it put a chip on our shoulders because we are like we were, we wanted the music to speak for itself and we wanted people to just judge us by our, our music not by our not by our age not by our skin not by our you know hair length or whatever and we wanted the music to to be heard first and you know it, you know the business is very image image conscious and image like a lot of bands back in those days They had all the gear, they had all the equipment, you know, all the props, the banners and all this and that, and they, like, we didn't have anything. We just had our instruments. Like, I don't think Mark even had a mic, you know? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, so it it kind of, it it kind of fueled us to like, oh yeah? All right. You know? I I mean, a cup. It did, it, it for sure, because I know a lot of bands were, were mad because we were kind of mad, but it, it was helping us that we were getting all this press, that we were young and blah, blah, blah. But we, we, we just wanted to be a part of the scene of, the, of, the, of thrash and metal. Like, so we were just into the music, into it for the music, first and foremost. So these, you know, I remember we 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 got asked to um to open for I think it was for Slayer at the Ritz, and there was a support band, and you know, and we had to set up in front of everybody and like, and they're just like. What are these kids doing here? Because they knew it was a big show and everything, and they hadn't heard of us or any, anything like that. And they're like, "You got? What do you guys do? You guys don't belong here." Like, whatever. Just they would people would say shit like that, and we we're just like, "We don't care." <laughs> when when you know when the lights go down, we're gonna fucking demolish this stage. Like that was our that was our uh, our mentality back then. It was like. We just want to fucking like destroy everyone with our with music, like in a good way, in a, you know, in a positive, destructive <laughs> way.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I think, and 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 the ultra violence is kind of a, is very much like um, Bonded by Blood in the sense that we had a lot of like several years to create it, and then you know, and it, then. It took a while to get signed, and then it finally came out. And like everyone in the Bay Area already knew, like all, everyone had bonded by blood, like on cassette, like because every like tenth generation or whatever, everyone had it. And we were just waiting and waiting. And we, everyone thought, oh, the production's just messed up because we keep dubbing it on tape, you know, tape to tape.
3: Mm-hmm. And then
0: it came out. And then when it came out, we we're like. Oh, man, what's up with the production?
3: Because
0: <laughs> cause the songs are so, you know, intense. It doesn't give it justice. So when Pleasures came out, it, the production was way better. But, you know, like we saw um, Exodus. They did a couple shows at the chapel in SF like a couple years ago. And it was just like they had... Uh, Zetro come, uh, no, they had, um, they had Bo Staff come up, they had all these guests, they had Rick Hunol come up and play all these different songs, they played forever, and those old songs just are so powerful, like, today, you know, it's
3: mm-hmm. like,
0: it's, it's the songs, and I think that's what the ultraviolence is, we had, we had a, we had a few years to, to, Cultivate that sound And to like Really hone it Down Because I mean you know You listen to it Yeah It's, it's a It's a It's a monster mm. But It's um Yeah it was just I don't know It was just fun mm. Fun stuff
2: Frolic
0: yes. frolic was recorded at um, Fantasy in Berkeley Okay in a big Like big proper studio With Michael Rosen And Davy mm. again was there
2: yeah, so let let's, H- get, let's get in let's get into that, Andy, the frolic album. Um did you decide you wanted to work with Davy again or was he forced on you again by your manager?
3: Um
0: Yeah, you you're, you're gonna I don't know, Rob Rob might know more about that. It might it might have had something to do with uh yeah, it had something to do with cat and um I don't know. Maybe Davy needed a job <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> because, like I said, again, I was there every step of the way. I spent my fifteenth birthday in that studio. Like I remember, I was we were there every every step of the way, and and Davy Bane was not there every step of the way. You know, that's why to me it's it's a little it's a gray area like the producer title because you know when you say producer to me it's like max norman on act three he was there pre-production all the way up to the recording all the way up all the way through to the mixing all the way to the mastering final stage of the album being completed like Uh davy was not davy was not there every step of the way
2: yeah now now, my copy of the record, um, is on Enigma records. Uh, were you signed to Enigma before you did the, re- did the album?
0: Um, yes, we were, we signed with Enigma, I think for a five album deal. So it was, um, ultra, frolic. And then when they put out that fall from grace, that was the third, cause they were mad at us. They heard we were going to record, um, a record, a live album, um, after the Frolic tour in, in the Bay air. Or like, no, no, was it? Yeah. They heard we are going to record, um, uh, uh a live album. So they used this, uh, the Amsterdam radio show that the Paradiso was a live broadcast out of Amsterdam um, it was supposed to be a, well, a one-shot thing, and then they got the tapes for that, and they just released it without us knowing it. We're on fucking tour, and people are going, can you sign this album? And we're like, what's this? are <laughs> <laughs> like, this is your live album that you put out. And then Rob's like, oh, shit. And he had to call the manager going, what's this? And then uh, and that's where most of our money went to attorneys to fight off the, the hind brothers for enigma cause we left them. And then cat was pissed off cause we left her. So, huh. so all, th- all throughout recording act three, we're dealing with legal shit cause our old label and old manager were so pissed cause we were going up, but our new manager got us that Geffen deal. So,
2: okay. So,
0: but, you know,
2: w- tell me about the writing, uh, of the frolic record, was there anything left over from the ultraviolence that was used on that?
0: Um, I think I think the only thing that was old was Devil's Metal, and it was like half of half of the song was uh, already written, but everything else was was uh, was fresh and new because. We were getting into our like, oh, we want to expand the boundaries of thrash, and you know, we want to put a little funk in here, and we want to punk and this and that, and and everyone was list, starting to listen to different things, like like totally different music, like not just our you know like the big four. Like back in the day, it was just Motorhead. The Big Four, GBH, and Discharge, basically. <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
0: <laughs> and that was it.
2: Yeah. Do you, do you think, looking back, Andy, that you could have done an album that was so varied as Frolic as your debut, or did you feel that you really had to do the debut first to get to that level with that, for Frolic?
0: Oh, yeah. Um, again, we were young, and we didn't we really... We weren't really um, familiar with the cycle of you know album tour, album tour. We were just gigging as much as we could and writing as much as we could, and then we would just pick the best songs. And like we didn't even do pre-production, like you know record twenty songs and pick the eight best songs or something like that. We didn't. We didn't know the concept of that. We just. We just would go by our gut instinct. And, our, and what we were trying to hear in our head And like We were starting to get in this um, Conceptual thing of the visual Because um, we You know Our favorite bands always It was a, a batch of songs And then you have that album cover And you just stare at that album cover And like Visualize what, what are they meaning And what does this mean And what did they mean by that And like this is so killer because it's like so creative, you know? hmm So we were just going by the seat of our pants, really. And, um, Frolic was, um, Frolic was definitely our most experimental album. And, and, um, you know, we wouldn't trade it for, I'm sure you'd ask anyone and it wouldn't, we wouldn't change anything. Um, you know, for for the for better or worse, because a lot of thrash people were were mad because we were, you know from ultraviolence to open up and you know you're like what
2: what are you guys doing? <laughs> we're,
0: we're, we we had been in the Fishbone, the Red Hot Chili Peppers for days already. Like,
2: I think Andy, the one song on this record that made people stand up and pay attention to what you were doing that was di- so different was "Bored."
0: Yeah,
2: and you're right. They still play that in, in the set now. It, it Like, you, you put that song on and you, the first three songs, like Third Floor Road Mutants and Why Do You Do This, they're straight up, more or less straight up metal songs. And then you get to board and it's like, wow, this is like nothing off the first record.
0: Yeah, that's funny um, because Rob didn't want to, Rob didn't want to put that on the record. And um, Kat, forced him to because he was like that's just a joke song and she's like that's your that's your catchiest song and he's like it is <laughs> you know because we weren't like in the headspace of like oh we wanna like what's catchy and what's gonna what's gonna sink into the people's like uh, memories and you know whether you know what's gonna stick or what's not gonna stick we didn't think like that we just thought like we're thinking like, this is our batch of songs and what order should we put it in? We, we would argue more about like the order of the songs more than like, what, what song, what riff or what part is in the song kind of mm. back then at least. But yeah. yeah, that's, you know, and it's funny because, a lot of times when we used to play, like when I was still in the band, it was like, I don't want to play board. You would hear that always by someone. I don't want to play it. And then it was uh, someone else. Yeah, but dude, everyone knows that song. Mm. Everyone, you know, people are coming to watch you because they want to hear the songs that they like.
2: Yeah. Right. hmm. So. so. Did, t- tell me about, uh, if you have any memories of, uh, the song confused, because to me, that's, that's your nod to black Sabbath.
0: Yes. Yes, totally. Totally. Um, yeah, I think we wrote that in, um, that might've been written in the studio. Um, most of it because, um, it was like Rob had the riff and then I don't know. I don't know how the, 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 idea of each guy getting a, You know, a different part to sing came about, but it was just like, we were just trying different stuff and, 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 you know, one thing that I I can say about back then that's, that's very different from now is bands back then, you know, you had more time, you had more label help and this and that, but bands wanted to be original, like bands didn't want to sound like everybody else, Mm -hmm. like, you know and especially when we're playing gigs with Testament and Violence and Forbidden and all these like huge like huge, hugely creative bands once we would play with them like a lot so that you would hear their new songs like you know so we'd go oh that's their new stuff then we would go okay let's do something Different than that, mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
0: so I mean you know we we wanted to be original, like we wanted to have our own voice in in that metal scene and the metal world, so we would we would not just like, oh, we stick out, we're the only ones doing this, but we wanted to like have a have a niche in there because otherwise you're just you know especially when we went out to Europe for the first time and we saw like how many bands there are out there and how talented they are it's like holy crap like if it was like this where we're from it I mean it would have been like stuff would have moved a lot faster huh. but but you know hey it is what it is and 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 that's the the main thing of probably I think was experimental experimenting and expanding and pushing the boundaries of, of the, of the genre. Cause there's a lot of times, there's a lot of times we knew exactly what we wanted to do, but there's like half of the other times where we we're just like going for it and jumping off the cliff and just like, let's see what happens,
3: you know, <laughs>
0: just go for it. <laughs> and <then laughs> Just rely on your, like your, your laurels or your like, just, trying to fall back on your on on your skill level of what you know but also like tip tiptoeing on the edge like
2: hmm so uh, Andy do you have any memories of recording open up because that's another track that I think really made people sit up and take notice of you guys
0: yeah yeah I um. that's man that was like that was like I mentioned Fishbone and Red Hots that was our that's as funky as we could get, like we we're trying to push the push the there i mean no one even said funk metal yet back then. we were just like trying to play funky but as heavy as we could, you know, but the funny thing about that about frolic is I don't know if you were out in Europe at that time though, our label lagged. And we were out on tour for like three and a half weeks for frolic playing the whole record and no one had it yet. It wasn't out. it wasn't out in the stores. So everyone's like listening like forty five minutes of like, what is this? So <laughs> it was like open up and bored and confused and like why you do this was like and everyone's just but everyone was thrashing and like like they would thrash and they would stop and they would look at us and just like stare at it. And we we're like, Oh shit, they're not getting it. And then all of a sudden they start thrashing again. And we we're like, Oh, okay, good. <laughs> 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 they were like, and then someone finally told us, Hey, your, your record's not out. And then Rob had to call the manager. Said, what happened? What's going on? And I was like, Enigma or no, it was like, I think it was music for nations or is that just in Great Britain?
2: Um, I when I got the the album in Ireland, it was on Enigma.
0: Enigma, okay. Mm-hmm. So Enigma's out there. Okay, yeah, they. I don't know what the heck they did, but it was supposed to be out like, like a month before we got out there, at least, so people could you know listen to it and digest it. But
2: <laughs> now, I don't know, man. Andy, nowadays, if the album wasn't out, you wouldn't play any of it before it came out.
0: Yeah, right?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't it's weird. Um yeah. Or 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 you would postpone the tour. Yeah. Until it came, right? And then it, and then it comes out and then okay, cuz you give time give time um give people time to to digest it. Mhm. But again, we didn't follow <laughs> the rule books.
3: So
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's practically almost everything we did was like why are you like people would go why are you doing this like that's not how you do it and we're like oh well we're going on tour and it's not out and what can we do
2: <laughs> mm. what, what andy when when you handed that album into enigma uh what was their reaction because were they expecting an album like the ultraviolence and then you handed them this one
0: yeah yeah it was mixed it was mixed for sure um They, they thought like half of it was like, what is this, what is half of the record? Like half of it is metal and then half of, what is this half? But I think the song that reeled them in is bored because it was catchy and, and then when Kat forced us to do that as the video song because we didn't want to do that as the video song. Um, I think she used that as a little leverage, like we'll do it as a video song. Don't worry. It'll be good. And this and that. And then, um, yeah, it, um, it worked out because when we came to the States, um, we did like six or seven weeks in North America and luckily for us headbangers ball, it was just picking up steam and they started playing the video while we were on the road. So we would play gigs and then we would go to the house party afterwards and we we're drinking beer and hanging out with people. Then, you know, then Borg comes on the fucking TV.
3: Hmm. And,
0: <laughs> and like, it was whatever. And we're like, this is weird. What the hell is this? Because, you know, I mean... Rob, Rob, and Mark—they had MTV because they they lived out in the East Bay already, and they had cable. I didn't have cable in Daly City for like years. Like even when Daly City had cable, my mom didn't get it for a while, and I never had MTV, so I I had no I you know I I didn't know you could watch music videos like all day long, and like they would play rock and play metal sometimes at night, mm-hmm. and we were just like oh wow this is new this is different you know and then then i guess like the college metal station started to play it and then we got it really it really helped the album sales for sure
3: Mm -hmm. it helped
0: and it and it helped for our name because we we started getting better better little gigs here to to support somebody and this and that and you know it it was it was all good. It was it was very good.
2: Yeah, so so Andy, why did you cover Cold Jane on the record?
0: Well, Kiss was our favorite band. Kiss was our first concert altogether and it was um we we wouldn't we wouldn't be in the music if it wasn't for Kiss. You know, I I can't recall really why we wanted to put it on there cuz we didn't it's not like we played that song like on the road every like all the time or anything but I don't know really you'd have to ask Rob really because
2: sometimes a band will put a cover on on an album because they don't have enough original material was that the case with you guys maybe
0: I don't know how many songs does Frolic have on it
2: um it has it has including Devil's Metal it has 11 11 yeah well
0: 10 songs that's that's not not too shabby. No. Um yeah, I don't I don't know really. I'm not I don't I don't know the reason why. I just know that KISS was a monumental uh band for us growing up. Mm. and if we you know we saw them nineteen seventy nine Dynasty tour, it just blew our minds. Um uh, we all had the makeup on except Dennis of course a little punk and <laughs> punk rocker but it was yeah, it was. It was, and we had never seen anything like that before.
2: Hm. Mm. 'Cause Because so. you, you, got, to me, you got an album that's already different to the ultraviolence, and then you're throwing on a kiss cover on top of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you put it that way, yeah, you know, it's like. Yeah. Again, we we didn't go by the rule book. We mm-hmm.
3: like.
0: We. I think. Sometimes we like to throw monkey wrenches in there just, just because like when people would think we we're going to do something, we would want to do something else.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, so do you, do you, do you remember who you went out on tour with supporting that record? Is there any particular bands you went out on tour that like stick out to you that you remember? On Frolic? Yes.
0: Um, in the States, it was rigor mortis from Texas. Okay. And, um, it was Mike Skaskia, who he ended up being in ministry and, uh, Ben Orr, I think the bassist, he was, he was in, I think he's in ministry now, but, um, unfortunately Mike passed away several years ago. Uh-huh. Um, they, they reminded me of, um, you remember Possessed? Yeah. They reminded me of Possessed, like that, a little more technical, uh-huh. but they were, they were like masked and like and total growls and everything and they were great guys to go on tour with in Europe it was um an Assassin and Rumble Militia they were on one they were either on the um Ultra Violence or Frolic okay um I can't really recall
2: hmm I got a I got a but sto- I, re- I got a story for you Andy um okay I don't know whether okay. you're going to remember this or not but we did a project on the show about Kerrang! Magazine, and one of the writers for Kerrang! Stefan Shirazi, who now works with Metallica, um, oh yeah. I asked him to tell me about a memorable road experience he had with <laughs> Kerrang. You know, do you know where I'm going with this? So he,
0: is, a, is it hot peppers?
2: No, he took well. You can if you can remember any of this, you can elaborate on it, but. The first okay. the first the first band he said was going on the road in Europe with ye Guys for 3 weeks on the Frolic tour. He said he got there with himself and the photographer, the band manager.
0: Aloha. Yes, yep. the,
2: the band manager didn't know that they were supposed to be on the tour. Uh they had <laughs> yeah. he told me they had to liberate over 2000 shirts uh and <laughs> and, and and sell them to make their way Across Europe on the tour, and uh, <laughs> he said he wanted. He said he had to hire a car because he wouldn't go on the bus because he, he'd feel like he'd punched the road manager. Do you remember any of that at all?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah, Yep.
2: Is, is that yep. all? Is oh, that-
0: they were at they were at <laughs> odds because you know the, our tour manager <laughs> ended up being our manager that we left for, we left cat for, and in him, he and Stefan... 'Cause Stefan was is 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 British and mm-hmm. English. Yes. And our, our our old manager was um I think he was like German, but he'd lived in London forever and he would just take the piss out of him every single second of the day. <laughs> like it was like a non stop barrage. And this is their first this is Stefan and Mark's first experience of being on the road. And he, our tour manager, he really put him put them through the ringer. He made them work for, it. so they were like double timing it. They had to sell the shirts, and take the pictures, and write you know write uh, stories and stuff for the magazine and everything. But man, that is one of the most funnest tours we ever had. It was it was very <laughs> fucking fun because one time. <laughs> We're in Holland, and, you know, we're eating. And, of course, they said, okay, this is the hot stuff, but this pepper is the hottest thing on the whole platter. So only eat this if you have a real high tolerance for heat. And everyone's like, oh, okay, no, put that to the side. So, of course, Dennis. He chops it up and puts it in Stefan's food.
3: <laughs> so, so he
0: comes up after counting all the shirts for getting ready for the gig. He comes up starving. He wolfs down his meal and just starts like steams coming out of his ears. And he just starts like hopping around and freaking out. <laughs> and, oh God. I thought you were going to talk about that one.
2: No, he, he actually but. never mentioned that.
0: Well well for obvious reasons. Yeah he, he's the butt he's the butt end of it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yeah uh, Stefan, Stefan was funny when he was talk talking about that tour. Was that the tour when the album wasn't wasn't even out? Yes sir, that was the one. Wow. So so you're doing a you're doing a tour with an album not even out with with a writer from yeah. Kerrang who doesn't want to be there.
3: <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: and then and then our poor photographer mark lealoha this is at the height of like at the shows the violence was like intense right
3: mm-hmm. he
0: would go on stage to type he would be on stage trying to take pictures because there's no like press pit
3: mm-hmm. and
0: he would get kicked in the head by stage divers and pushed and punched and like he would have like cuts and bruises like every night, like more than my hands. Like at the, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the set, I was like, God, Mark, what what are you doing out there? Are you, are you going into the pit?
2: (laughs) Yeah. He said another thing now that you bring that up, he said, Mark got pushed into the barrier of one of the shows and got his head split open.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's right.
2: Yeah. So, so before, before I leave you go, Andy, um, where would you put the frolic album in the, in where would you rank it in the, in the death angel catalog? Oh
0: man. Um, geez, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not good at this Mm. because uh, you know, on every, on, on every, on a different day, it would be a uh, different favorite because there's too much, uh, there's too much sentimental, uh, Feelings towards all those records like, like every DA record Was It really was like blood sweat and tears Like We just we, we, we would put our all into it And 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 for different reasons Like Different albums have Have more meaning to you Cause like Ultra Are Just to have an album out Yeah An accomplishment for us mm-hmm. You know Cause we we had the tunnel vision that we were gonna get a record out, but we just didn't know how. And then when it finally came out, it was like it was like wow, we a milestone. And then frolic creatively frolic frolic might be the most the number one um, creative record of our catalog because. 'Cause no other album sounds like it, and and it's obviously like it's 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 done on purpose like that. It wasn't just like like put all these different songs together. That kind of like you know they seem like they don't relate. It, It was done intentionally. Like we wanted to do that with different styles from the first song to the last song. It's a journey through different stages. Huh. And experimentally, it was um, a, a very important record. And and without board, you know, really, um, it would be a different story. And and another thing is like when when we played with Soulfly in the early two thousands, Roy Mayorga, he he told me he goes, oh man, Max Max always listens to Frolic while while we were doing that three record, and I was like really frolic because <laughs> we we always joke around like like for kiss hotter than hell is like musically one of their best records for song wise but sonically it's like their worst record <laughs> you know yeah like? <laughs> yeah you know yeah so we would joke around like oh frolics are hotter than hell. <laughs> 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 but you know, I don't, I, I I don't know. You know, I don't know if those other guys would want me to reveal that kind of stuff. But you know, I I really don't care because I'm, I just like to be honest, and I don't, you know, yeah, and, and honest to the point of like, like my mom got always got uh, accused of brutal honesty, and I guess I got that a little from her because sometimes I would say stuff to the guys, and then they would, they would like get pissed off but you know hey Hmm. it's better to know where someone stands than to just fake it and not say nothing and then not know where anybody what anybody feels
2: true true well Andy I'm going to leave you go it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you again
0: right on hey thank you man no problem very much
2: and maybe sometime in the future we'll we'll go through act three which is which is my favorite oh yes now now you're talking all right, Andy. Well, I'm going to leave you going. Okay, right on. All right. Thank you, brother. It's been a pleasure. Take care of yourself. I'll talk to you soon. Okay.
1: All right, bye. Great. All right. There you go. Our talk with Andy Gallian. Always awesome to have Andy on the show, even from an editing point of view, which is kind of a selfish point of view. But Andy is definitely one of those guys that does not give the one or two word answer. That guy talks. I mean, he, Mick Brown, talks which makes it super easy for editing because, uh, you know, you want to hear everything the guy has to say. So there's huge blocks of stuff that I basically never have to touch in in the audio editing phase. Got to love that. Absolutely. So anyways, there you go. Hope you learned a lot of stuff from Andy this week and do yourself a favor. Reach out to him on social media. Great guy. Awesome to talk to. As I just said, we always love to have that guy on the show. And I I would expect you're going to see him back on the show again. So this is just the tip of our classic metal series iceberg. We're going to run from now till the end of May. You know, good kickoff, I think, with Andy, but lots of good stuff on the way. Kind of give you a little bit of a teaser. We have got a, an artist that worked a long time ago with uh, Tommy Thayer. I will say that this is uh, not a male artist, so, uh, you know... Put your thinking caps on. There, you may see who we're talking to. Somebody who hasn't uh, talked to the uh, the media for a long time. But uh, Richie, in his uh, Irish magic, has uh, pulled this one off. And then we have another female artist that uh, did two albums and uh, no one really heard from again after that. We're going to be having uh, we're going to be having her on the show as well as the uh, the one of the main guitarists and songwriters in the band as well coming on the show. So we'll have that one in store for you and we're also going to have a dude from Connecticut whose uh, probably biggest claim to fame is actually singing in a band from Japan. And we still have a couple of great insider interviews as well that uh, weren't from artists, but people that were in the industry, you know, working the road, working in, uh, in the publishing industry, that kind of stuff as well. We have uh, those from months back, still haven't run those for you, so maybe we'll run those after that, or, or who knows, because, uh, you know, still getting requests hot and heavy for people that, uh, that want to get on the show. So a lot of stuff in the next few weeks, and I'm trying to edit them in a way that we can make them fit within the hour time slot that we have on some stations. Just trying to be fair to all the listeners out there, but uh, you know I will apologize in advance. Some of the things may run over a little bit. Part of what we'll do to try all to make all of that work is to go with a music lighter or or no music format for the next couple weeks, just to get that all in for everybody. So there you go. Lots of good stuff ahead. I hope that everybody enjoys the next couple weeks coming up as much as Richie and I did in assembling all of this for you. But in the meantime, you can also, uh, as always, head up to FocusOnMetal.net and you have got all 400-plus episodes available to you up there on the episodes page. If you've got one that you see up there, you want to hear, and there isn't a link or a streaming link on the page for that, then uh, you know, hey, shoot me an email, uh, Scott at FocusOnMetal.net, and I will do my best to uh, get a link up there for you so you are able to hear it for yourself. And I'll tell you, there is a lot of stuff up there as well. Just, you know, the last few weeks, having returning artists come back on the show and looking back to find out what episode that they were on the show. For instance, in case you're curious, I had to scroll through to remember that Andy was on episode 301, which was part of our two part 300th episode where we featured Master of Puppets. And that was back in uh, October of 2016. And invariably, you know, you're scrolling through all that stuff trying to find that artist and the episode they were on. And all of a sudden, you're like, Oh, yeah, I forgot we had that person on, and we had that person on. And, and it just, I you know Richie and I have said this before, it starts to bleed together, but uh, but it's true. We've had tons and tons of guests on the show, awesome people. And uh, you can find all that stuff, like I said, up there on on FocusOnMetal.net. And, of course, you can also find us over at FocusOnMetal.blogspot.com. We put up the show notes. We, We were doing new stuff up there for a while as well, but I've kind of fallen off the horse on that one. And then those of you who listen all the time know that Richie's always up on Facebook every day, putting out the probing questions about what people think and giving his opinions and all that good stuff. So you can always find Richie over there on Facebook. And you'll see me over on Twitter. All right. So our uh, our month of classic metal is now officially kicked off. We've uh, finished the Andy Gallen episode. So uh, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more, as I say. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie and myself and everybody else here over at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus Metal! Everything else is insignificant.